0: This is Star Wars author Delilah S. Dawson, and you're listening to Clashing Sabres Network.
1: Here we go again. Chewing. We're home. I bypassed the compressor. You were the chosen
0: one! Something truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued.
1: Revenge is not the Jedi way. I
0: am no Jedi.
1: The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon. And with me, he is my co-host. He is the gonk droid wrecker
0: likes to curl. It's yes <laughs> uh, Yes, because Lindsay's not going to chime in for that one, is she? See, I had to give you a proper introduction. You're welcome. You you just think I'm a fat walking hunk of metal with power droid capabilities? I think that you are an underappreciated
1: asset of our universe. That's what I'm saying.
0: Wow. Okay. Because
1: the galaxy does not function without gonk droids.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it. How are you doing today?
1: I am good I am ready to, to podcast we were supposed to do this a couple of days ago and had to push it back and so just based on on the timing and stuff I actually got to do a little bit of redesign of my office uh, okay. so I have more of my books out and stuff yeah so it feels good it's like being in a new room and uh, you know but also it's it's the same same room um, just more of the stuff that I have is sitting out which you know I That's like. Not bad. I like being surrounded by stuff. I'm material. What can I say? I'm a material girl
0: <laughs> uh I, I, I look a long day when all my books can come out of their boxes and and be proudly displayed where they belong, and no one else will ever see them <laughs> <laughs> right I mean, right now, I have a whole i mean i'm leaving I left
1: my paperbacks in the closet just because it's a lot of like mismatched legend stuff and things like that um and a lot of it I haven't gotten to yet so <laughs> I like having the stuff that I've already read on the shelves because then I don't have to rearrange things. Now, once more books start coming out, we're going to have a problem because I don't have any more room on the shelves. But that is uh, what? When does the next High Republic come out? June? I think it's June is the next one. Yeah, that's June Braden's problem. Uh, We don't like that guy anyways. (laughs) So on this episode of our little podcast, we are going to discuss the first three episodes of the new animated series, The Bad Batch. Uh, A couple episodes ago, we talked about our predictions and things we were looking forward to. So we'll get into that and more in just a little while. But before we do that, uh, we need to answer a big question. So Drew, tell me, what are you Star Warsing lately?
0: Well, I've been reading through um, Test of Courage, as a matter of fact. Um, oh th- so underrated okay uh, I am three quarters of the way through and it's fine there's nothing bad about it yet it's 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 kind of exactly what it sets out to be and that's great you know not everything can even be that good. so it's not bad um, I don't think it's as groundbreaking and earth shattering as light of the Jedi is but I think that's okay I don't think it's a job it's not trying to accomplish that. It's a much smaller story. Uh but uh you know, uh once this one's it's probably gonna go straight back to the library. And I'm not sure this is one that it's gonna sit on my shelf for very far too long. We'll have to see if the ending kind of makes it makes a bigger impact. I don't know, you read this one, was this one of the first ones that you read, or did you read Light First? I read Light of the Jedi first. So uh, did you read the uh, the Claudia novel next, or did you read this one next?
1: I pretty sure I read Test of Courage next just because I figured it was a quick one. and I got it out of the way in a couple of days, but it yeah, really you've
0: been, it's, it, you've been pretty high on it ever
1: since. Well, and see, it's funny that you said, you know, oh, we'll see how it ends, because I was kind of where you were at the first three quarters of the way through. Like, it's a good book. Like, there's some cool stuff in here. It's definitely like. You know, setting up more of the galaxy from you know a younger reader perspective, but then some of the stuff that happens uh, and and what it says about the Jedi and Jedi philosophy, I was really fascinated by in about the last twenty pages or so. So oh, I'm wow, excited okay. to see uh, your reaction there, because yeah, it was well, it was definitely kind of like a okay, this is this is solid, like good book, definitely something. You know that I planned on revisiting, you know, just when I needed a quick read or whatever. Um, but yeah, those last twenty pages I took copious notes on. So.
0: Oh wow, interesting.
1: It was yeah, it was a okay. lot. Okay, yeah,
0: because I'm not getting that vibe yet, where we're, we're dealing with too much of the, like you said, on the philosophical level of things. It's a very straightforward tale of you know. A couple characters who come together, tragic happenstance, which you know most of these books kick off the same way. I I noticed a lot of parallels to Light of the Jedi as well. You have massive events at the beginning, and then kind of characters reacting and trying to make their best out of a bad situation kind of thing, which is you know pretty common structure of these kinds of stories to be. But I like that this one is tailored for a specific audience, which isn't bad. Uh, Need to make sure we have those tiered at different levels. Not everything needs to be targeted at you you and I. Of course, um, we don't want that. (laughs) Right. Very bad. Um, but my nine year old read this one. He read it through. He said he liked it. I tried to get him to tell me about it. Give me little bits and pieces of it. And he used a couple of key phrases that I recognized. Like he mentioned the Nihil right off the bat, which was good. Um, are involved very early on in the story. We won't say any more about that just in case anybody else has not read it yet. And is looking forward to it. Um, he he enjoyed it. It's fine. Uh, I don't think it was his favorite book he ever read, but that's okay. I think he he was good enough, and that's why I wanted to go back and read it to make sure that if there was something there worth picking up, that I had the chance to do that too. Well,
1: and one thing I like that they're doing with the High Republic, you know, by releasing. A an adult novel, a young uh, young adult novel, and a uh, middle grade reader with everything, and I think maybe a kid book. They had a kid book, uh, picture book uh, in, in the initial run. Yeah, there's a couple of yeah
0: golden yeah, book uh, um, level stuff.
1: But they are kind of tearing not just the reading level, but the scale of impact on the galaxy. Like Light of the Jedi yeah. is an essential story to understand. You know the the galaxy at large. And then Into the Dark is it's high stakes. It's going to affect what's happening everywhere else, but it's not at the same stakes as Light of the Jedi. And then same thing for Test of Courage with respect to uh, Into the Dark. So I really like that because it's, in a way, it is allowing for kind of a create your create your own galaxy kind of play there you know like your your kids can read just the the middle grade novels and they've got you know this this smaller more character based version of the high republic where you know us who are going to read everything that comes out you know whether we read it right away or not we're getting this bigger story um and and the adult novels, you know, are more focused on the galaxy as a whole. And then young adult is galaxy plus characters. And then the the middle grade novels are very much just about these, these individual characters and in this one experience that they have. And I think that's kind of the trend that they're going to keep going, which I think is a really good format because, again, it allows for uh, different people to experience it in different ways, but for there still mm-hmm. to be a cohesive story. Because you're not going to yeah. put something important in you know the next adult novel that was in test of courage but you could still tie threads there you know whereas the next uh middle grade novel you could directly tie to test of courage and expect you know the people to know what happened in that book more or less
0: yeah i agree that you kind of got the everybody gets to represent the major story points like the 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 emergences, which as a result of the great hyperspace is that kind of thing um, although that's not what they call it in this book. What do they call it? Uh, Oh, wow. That's ah, yeah. I have to revisit the it. The Liberty run explodes. They call it a thing. Now it's got a name for the event. It's totally escaped me. So if you know it, uh, tweet at Brandon, cause I don't need that <laughs> kind of embarrassment on the internet. That's not a good thing for me to have. I, I do that all I, on my own. So yeah, tweet at me. I like the, the <laughs> I like that you don't have to – like you said, you don't have to – all these things are structured. I like the sense of structure because the more structure you see at the beginning gives me gives me at least more confidence that they know what they're doing forward. You know, The next couple steps are planned out. I don't need to have 25 steps planned out, but at least the next three or four in the path really should be clearly identified, at least by the creative team. That makes it feel like these things matter. It makes it feel like each of these sequences is important and leads directly to the next thing. So we'll have to see, but... Uh, well, yeah. The next one is in June, The Rising Storm. Yeah. That'll be fun. That's Kevin Scott.
1: Kevin Scott's got the the uh, adult novel there. And, you know, something that's I, I find really interesting, because I'm reading uh Thrawn right now. Uh, Thrawn Ascendancy, oh Greater Good. And... Just you bringing this up, you know, about High Republic just made me think about how much we talk about High Republic. Like, it comes up Uh regularly, and we haven't had a new High Republic release in a couple months. Have you heard anybody talking about the old Thrawn books in the last couple months? (laughs) Like, in the past year? Like, honestly, you know, you have three High Republic books out. You have now five, soon to be six Thrawn books out. And you don't hear about people visiting it really after the release. There's those here and there, and I'm in I'm in some uh, you know, four or five Star Wars book groups on Facebook, and God Lord, <laughs> you you see people bring up you know oh I finally was able to get my hands on this High Republic book or whatever, or there'll be you know hey I just finished reading uh, all the ones that are out, and this is these are my thoughts, and what do you guys think or whatever. There's not that with, with Thrawn, um, which, again, like, we know my stance on Thrawn, um, but just mm-hmm. because I'm reading it right now, it kind of put me, put it in my mind how different those mm-hmm. things are, um, which is interesting, you know, because it, they're they're also very different books and very different approaches to storytelling, uh, you know, because to me, Zahn is a science fiction writer, um, whereas... Okay. You know what we're getting with High Republic is more mythology and fantasy, Um, and it's just really interesting. I mean, to be fair, the new Thrawn book is okay. I have not (laughs) wanted to reviews. Don't run. (laughs) Uh, To the last three books that have come out, the last three Thrawn books. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. The original Ascendancy. I was like, okay, it's a good setup book wasn't something that I was really like, I'm going to go revisit it. This one, uh, I'll see how it plays out. I'm about 300 pages in. So I've got about uh, 100-ish pages left. Um, And I I, I am enjoying it. It's not anywhere near even uh, like victory's price for me. Um, It's definitely a lower tier book. But here's the interesting thing, and we'll get into this more on Don't Burn the Sacred Text, but... There's not a lot of Thrawn in this Thrawn book, which I find really interesting. Like, I was reading, and I just stopped myself, and I was like, there hasn't been any Thrawn for days. Like, I had gone days without reading anything about... There's references to him and the things that he's doing, but you don't actually spend a lot of time on his ship, which I find Hmm. really interesting. And again, I'm going to see how it plays out and and do a full review on Don't Burn the Sacred Text. Um, I would say if you're not a Thrawn fan um, or you haven't really gotten into Thrawn before, the Ascendancy stuff is a good place to to start from scratch because you don't need a lot of background information um, because it really in a way it's not even a star Wars book. It almost happens in a different galaxy happening in the chaos, uh, is what they call it. And it's, you know, outside of the galaxy proper that we know. So again, I come in with a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth about Thrawn, uh, because I've been jilted so many times when it comes to that character. And I, I think he gets away with a lot of nostalgia, um, cred that, uh, you know, doesn't get given to um, newer characters, even though he's doing uh, things that other, you know, new characters like Rey and people complain about what she does, but then there's no explanation for how Thrawn does what he does. But anyways, you know where I stand on Thrawn. And I would say that if you are somebody who is wanting to get into the character um, and especially considering that he's probably going to play a role in the Ahsoka show and there's a good chance that the chaos and the ascendancy could play a role in there too. It's definitely worth checking out the series.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll I don't know. Not, it's not really on my list of things to get into. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a little tired of continually looking back to these stories that are supposed to inform things, but they don't really seem to make much difference later on. Like I had to just really quick while you were talking Look at the chronological order of of where these come in line, and, and I'm seeing that the first set of the Throne Trilogy books was in between Solo and Rogue One, and it looks like the Ascendancy books are now during the attack of the clone, attack of the Clones phase of things. It's like this does not interest me. I think we're going backwards too much. When it's more interesting to me to understand what happens next to these characters, like we have them established. And he really wasn't that much of an interesting character enough to figure out where did he come from. I feel like had that opportunity time and time again. Unless you can tell me that they're doing wildly different than they did back in the Legends days, I don't really know what we're doing with these books. Like, did like I'm not going to say we didn't need six of these, but are, are do you think they're contributing anything to the character to give us a different understanding than we had five, ten years ago? Oh, absolutely not, no. I don't
1: well, think anything think has been added What's to the? Thrawn's character since <laughs> Outbound doing, Flight. Guys?
0: Come on. Come on. What are we doing? Like, that's what I'm saying. Outbound like, Flight like, was good. Outbound Flight you know, was I great. I remember, remember it being good. It's been a long time. It may not have held up. I don't know that No, I, I read it
1: probably a year
0: ago or so.
1: Maybe a year and a half. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, and uh, it was it was really good. Um, hmm. And...
0: See, I think that, like, especially when we compare this thing to, like... The after, the Alphabet Squad trilogy, which occurs after Return of the Jedi, but in that large enough gap of time where so much could have happened, and these are people we don't know and we haven't met before, that a lot of opportunity for discovery there. You have new characters and new situations. We don't qu- we don't quite clearly understand the true fall of the Empire. The new Republic tries to come about. So seeing that in in you know fits and spurts is good. I like seeing that kind of stuff. But the Thrawn books got so much material on the rise of the empire now that it's just And we're gonna come we're probably gonna talk about this a little bit later on if we're not having anything new contributed to the discussion don't know quite what we're doing with this stuff yet and that's what these these thrown smack of to me is like if you're not adding anything new to the conversation you better be able to hold up on your own value as an entertaining story and no one has said Man, these six really grabbed me. Like, I can't wait to see what happens next. I've never heard that comment about these yet.
1: Yeah, and and I genuinely try to ask people who are excited about Thrawn, like, what is it about him sure. that, you know, because to me, and this is coming from me, like, world's biggest Rebels fan I think he was the biggest detriment to that show. Like I think he was a complete oh, wow. waste of a villain, and I don't mm. like anything of, except for the end of him being the end of season two uh, with the oh my god, Michelle is going to kill me. I am the middle season
0: two. The what's what's the big the ben do bendu oh my goodness uh the bendu you, sir have just been fired Can i am
1: so ashamed of myself um i'm gonna go in the, middle, the big guy in the middle i'm gonna go you know put my dunce hat on and go sit in the corner um yeah you need to pay some
0: penance with that one,
1: <laughs> no joke uh could you send a nun over and just like hit me on the wrist with a ruler um <laughs> Jeez. so but like the, the end there... That was interesting because of Bendu predicting the future. And then, you know, uh, the end of the series was interesting because of... Like, Thrawn just happened to be where everything interesting was happening. He didn't add any interest to it, to me. I
0: don't know about that.
1: And okay. the, the books... Like, you were talking about, oh, you know, this is happening around Attack of the Clones. It is, but the only way you would know that is... Because there's a brief reference of Anakin Skywalker in the first one because it crosses over with the second book in the first Thrawn trilogy. So like the first ascendancy book is happening and then these events happen that lead to what happens in Thrawn alliances and then you come back to what happens in Ascendancy.
0: No, no, I'm good. Yeah, somebody can draw me the map afterwards. I, I, nope. <laughs>
1: again, it's like <laughs> it happens in a different galaxy, so yeah. it, it's interesting. I mean, again, if you like Thrawn... Do your thing. You do you. I'm but, sure it's great. Yeah. You know, if you can find a way to convince me, please. Because as always, I'm open to changing of my mind. But until then, Thrawn runs purely off of of uh 90s nostalgia which other stuff gets in trouble for so that said i'm going to give you some time to mull that over and think about it and prepare your uh tweets in your drafts for you to send to uh at the drew brett later and we are going to take a quick break and come right back after this
0: Pushed to the brink. Republic forces continue to mount victories on battlefronts across the galaxy. After the Jedi Knights thwarted and attempted to kidnap Chancellor Palpatine, the evil droid General Grievous retreated to the Outer Rim with his legions of battle droids severely depleted. Grievous mounts a desperate and brutal counterattack across several Star Systems.
1: Today we are going to be talking about the first three episodes of The Bad Batch. So, full spoilers from this point on. If you have not watched all three of the episodes that have come out, go do so before you watch any of this, because we are not going to be just talking about our feelings about it. We are going to actually get into full-on spoiler stuff. So... Before we get there, I want to go back in time to our review of, uh, or excuse me, to review some of the things that we were looking forward to coming into this series, and One of them uh, that we we talked a lot about was how in season seven of Clone Wars, these characters were very stereotypical, uh, very cut and dry in terms of who they were. And Drew, I wanted to ask you, after three episodes and uh, about two hours of time uh, spent with these characters again, do you feel like they have started to break out of those stereotypes and develop some actual um, character depth?
0: hmm um yes and no and the reason i say that is because the first episode uh you know aftermath being 75 minutes long or whatever it felt a lot like a retread of the four episodes we got to know them to begin with character style here's their roles they like their chaos watch them have fun now it's thrown at the twist that obviously as like we introduce the fifth character to the team which is fine um and we'll talk about a little bit more of that in a little bit but I like that we're actually giving them something to do that is counter to what they've been trained to do. That's, you know, the nature of making characters interesting is give, is putting them in a situation they are not prepared for in order to watch them respond, which is great. So I'm happy with that. As I, I was pleasantly surprised by, the you know, the second and third episodes where it was, we truly get to see them struggling with things and trying to figure out how are they going to take care of this kid. Now, it took us a while to get there. Like, that first episode, as fun as it is, and as many times as my kids like to rewatch it, it was a drag for me <laughs> to watch. Like, it, it takes, what, out of 75 minutes, when it finally starts to throw curveballs at these guys, it's like, what, 68 minutes in? Like, we've spent so much time with them and, and in the world of animation, especially in the Star Wars world of animation that's a long time to try and really keep your audience engaged. So I don't really know that it's off on the strongest of, of footings, but I wonder if they needed that in order to make it as big a shift as possible for them. I mean, what do you think? Do you, I'm hoping for more, but I, we have the I think is the beginning of character development, but we are a long way away from them actually being forced into a change. They seem adapting well, but I don't know.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that they are, that some of them are starting to break out of that. I think, um, and you know, as we'll get into in a little while, Hunter is definitely, uh, developing a lot. I would say Wrecker is developing, um, a good bit. You know, you can see him evolving. You wouldn't expect a character like that to change too much. He's the comedic relief, you know? Um, it's kind of like Zeb, like Zeb in rebels had some good character development and things like that. But, he was the the comedic relief in the muscle and they just don't get a lot of character d- development. It's fine. Um, tech and echo are kind of, you know, still stuck on the sidelines more or less um, so far. I'm sure we'll get more of them. Um, it's, it's a felony classic to have, you know, the one character gets basically a whole episode, you know, hair and the B wing and um, Sabine and the Mandalorians and all, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, but, Mm-hmm. I'm I think that they are off to a really good start. I think there's some really good themes um that are being set up and uh they're definitely like you said, their their reality is being shaken and it was shaken, you know, by order sixty six and uh man. <laughs>
0: Yeah, how did you feel about that first like twelve minute adventure uh, set piece there? Where you, you, I don't think anybody was expecting that. Were they? No, I wasn't. I, I
1: mean, at least not in that capacity. And um, when when you see Deppa Balaba, immediately you know you go, okay, well now we're gonna see Kanan and and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, my initial thought didn't go to like. Oh, we're gonna see Order sixty six happen right now. It was <laughs> I, I think I was just so caught up in like, oh wow, they they are actually doing this. Like they brought in a young Caleb Doom and Okay, the animation doesn't really look like anything that would evolve into the Kanan that we know. Um, and also that's definitely Freddie Prince Junior doing his voice. Oh
0: gosh, trying to sound like a twelve year old boy again. Dude, I like let's
1: I I work around you know 12 and 13 year old kids and let me tell you none of them have that deep of a voice it hasn't happened yet um
0: i it like it, it took me out of, you know when wait a minute i'm pretty sure that's freddie prince and like i applaud him for coming back and doing but i think this is one of the times it would have been okay to get somebody else to do it would've i mean
1: you already have d bradley baker there he's doing everything else just have him do that too <laughs> uh,
0: oh, so tired. Of voice,
1: well, and I, I just feel like with today's technology, you couldn't have modified it a little bit. Like I get, you know, like hey, you know, he he did Kanan originally, and Star Wars likes to keep you know the same actors as much as they can, more or less. Um, but like in Rebels, you brought in Steven Stanton to play Obi Wan when you had James Arnold Taylor like a phone call away and Steven Stanton to my recollection hadn't done Obi-Wan before but you made that call because you felt like okay we need to transition to you know an older Alec Guinness yeah. but then you don't do the reverse anyways it, to me you know when like you're watching TV or a movie or whatever and the people talking and the sound is out of sync mm. and you just get distracted because you're like oh, what watchable yeah that's what this was to me. It it was that, oh, that where moment,
0: really was that bad.
1: It was, it wasn't bad, but it did, like you said, it took me out of it um, a lot. Now,
0: that said, I was, I was surprised before we go too far. I was surprised at like the timeline of events because it, the show opens up with the Clone Wars classic, you know Admiral Yularen cap kind of thing, right. But it's basically a condensation of the first like, 15 minutes of Revenge of the Sith, which really caught me off guard because I thought we had time before we were going to get to the Order 66 motion. It's like the next thing as the story unfolds. It's like I, I think it moved so fast, I was surprised because in the final season Clone Wars thing, there is the sequence where Balava is an hologram uh, conversation with... Mace went and I think Obi-Wan and Anakin and she's around that table and so I kind of like put my brain together be like wait a minute I thought this happened then that happened next and whatever so there's so much spinning around it that it felt like I was having a hard time actually dialing into what was going on the first time I watched it because none of the pieces were lining up for me in an appropriately synchronized fashion so I was already kind of caught off guard by that I, I don't know that first episode is, is kind of a challenge for me. See I didn't I didn't feel that way at all. Um,
1: I again, I thought we would get a little bit more time beforehand, um, but with season seven of Clone Wars crossing over so close to, uh, or actually literally crossing over, Revenge of the Sith, and you know the Bad Batch arc happens at the beginning of that season, you know, but that season is chronologically correct. And it, it does all happen very quickly. One thing, you know, after another. So it's not that shocking, um, to me. I like that we got to see another side of order 66. I think one thing that I've been reflecting on, um, through these episodes and, and kind of how they are, uh, talking about identity and belonging and things like that, especially after a huge traumatic event is that there are these cultural events that happen, you know, once or twice in a generation, uh, Kennedy being assassinated, nine 11, uh, things like that, where it doesn't matter how directly you were affected by it. Everybody was affected by it. And it's a point of no return where, like i still remember like the shift that happened you know after 911 like it was the world was not the right. same ever again and no no person in the world was the same again it's not just having to take your shoes off at the airport your life your your faith in uh you know things was shattered and order 66 to me is is the 911 um if that's not too crass to say mm-hmm. because whether you have you know people You know, the clones literally, you know, killing Jedi or, you you know, you have the Bad Batch or you have uh, Ahsoka and Rex. Like, there's so many different angles on this um, that it is interesting to me to see it um, from so many different people's points of view. Because you, with Revenge of the Sith, we were like, okay, this happened. All the Jedi were killed done deal, you know, clones turning into stormtroopers, blah, blah. But, you know, as, <laughs> as happens with history, the more you delve into these events, the more you realize, you know, just how wide-reaching they are, um, which is, to me, really, really interesting. And so I think that was a good place to start because it did ground us in, okay, this is what Order 66 has done to other people, So now let's see what it does to them. And to me, you know, I expected, okay, Order 66 happens. Bad Batch isn't a part of it. Like, they're going to go off somewhere else. Um, And then to have them actually return to Camino and try to figure out, you know, literally what was happening um, to me was really, really interesting.
0: Yeah, I like that part because it really did kind of outline the way in which things unfolded to the regular side of the galaxy, not in the Senate chambers, not in the halls of the Jedi Council, but like, you know, maybe the clone trooper facility on Kamido is not exactly what the regular citizenry is going to do. But at the same time, you got to see it from perspective of people who weren't main characters in the stories before. That's a big deal. So the, I really liked that when they kind of got back and the, everybody's demeanor had shifted and mm-hmm. no one was treating them the same way. Like, definitely tell us a switch had been flipped i mean quite literally in their brains and that was really interesting to watch them go through that observation and that discomfort that they had to kind of endure and then reckon with their own which i think was probably the most interesting thing in that the first por- portion of that was how all of those you know the four of them they had four or five,
1: four or five. uh we'll get into uh, four or five later there's five, five but
0: it's, yeah, there's still five at that point because Crosshair is still part of the family there. I like that where they're all kind of like, are we sure this is the right thing to do? Why did this happen? And then Crosshair is just like over there <laughs> in the corner going, good soldiers follow orders. Love it. I
1: kind of want that as like a text tone for somebody. I like him. Yeah. I like him. Uh, he's
0: he's, he's deathly.
1: Well, and I was really like immediately struck by, um, and I think it's set up as, a, as a, a an image to kind of um, stop you in your tracks. But that scene or, or that moment where Hunter is on one side of the cliff and Kanan is on the other side and you have the waterfall oh, yeah. in the middle, like that separation to me was a separation of, you know, the Jedi from the clones but also, you know, the past from the future, um, and then, you know, yeah. of course, the philosophy and the life that the these clones had known. It was a huge separation. There's also like a really cool thing to me about, you know, Kanan and Rex. There, you know, and, and how Kanan's gonna have to, you know, learn to um, overcome that traumatic event in his his past and stuff like that. But as far as it concerns the Bad Batch, I do think it sets up really nicely this idea of like the Jedi represented what they believed in. They represented the Republic. They represented fighting for something good and meaningful. And now that is quite literally on the other side of mm-hmm. an uncrossable mm-hmm. barrier. Like, it's not like he, you know, went across a bridge and then cut the bridge down. Like he did, he, he, jumped across something that you know the clones didn't have a chance of getting over. So it's quite literally a separation in philosophies.
0: Yeah, he he's using his natural talent in order to overcome and create a chasm between the two of them. Which is there is uncrossable by either one of them by will or inability to perform the same kind of action. So it's a very a very clear kind of like directors and, and writers saying this break it's huge. They're separated. They'll never come back together again, which is, you know, which is great. It's good storytelling. I, I appreciated that. So, from and it really is from the clones' perspective, the breaking of the trust between the two of them. Yeah, the clone and the Jedi. They had worked side by side together for so long and been through so much, and now in the blink of an eye, they are literally separated by by ever possible. So, it was good. That it's not bad. All it's, it's what I think the first episode struggled with to me is is it has to do a lot of world establishing, but it still takes time to establish the individual character and make sure we all know who's who does what in their roles. And I think we could have done without that. So, I, like for example, you know, as we as we play out the episode of mine, we get to the uh, the training montage basically, where they're in the battle arena. And they have to fight off the droids to Tarkin's uh, enjoyment, basically. And can we. Like, Tarkin's rise to power is in the blink of a freaking eye. And I kind of like it. Like, I kind of like that it insinuates that in the Republic, there were already these moving pieces from a war machine kind of perspective. Say that Palpatine had already been in the process of establishing his rule through appointing people to different positions and getting his his minions in line so that when the switch came he already had full backing of the military at every level it's less of a military coup than it is just kind of a changing of the flag which was really interesting oh and and we get more of
1: that you know with the the
0: elite squad in in uh, replacements yeah. you know yeah, like I was kind of you it's, it's, it's kind of interesting to think of how much of that had it already been occurring Because when you watch Revenge of the Sith, it flips from full-fledged functioning... Well, slightly functioning. you know The Republic is doing its job, and overnight it changes into this empirical model. But really, that's not what happened. There's other things happening behind the scenes. I like that fleshing out. I kind of wish that was more in the film. I wish we had something more establishing there. Maybe that's there, and I'm just looking at the moment. But I think that these additional series have taken great lengths to show us no 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 here's the real core of the rot and here's the real poison within the flesh that said these things are not going to last and it's because we're about to push it over a cliff
1: yeah and you know the movies obviously are are focused more on anakin and and the larger um characters and there's definitely some grooming going on there with palpatine and anakin But the more content we get where we see characters like Tarkin um, and even, you know, the elite squad, uh, you know, and and their beliefs in this empire that, you know, just kind of like you said, it just changed the flag. um, But it's a completely different thing. It's providing them these new opportunities. He literally is grooming the whole galaxy, which is just adds a layer of creepiness and yeah. uncomfortability and Hitler, Satan kind of ideology behind Palpatine. Like, Were I mean, it's not, it, Hitler did that it? With, with Nazi Germany, you know? Like, he groomed a philosophy into a sect of people so that it could disseminate out that when he flipped it, It was just like, okay, this is the thing that's happening. Let's keep going, more or less.
0: Okay. that's
1: It's a giant simplification. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) But...
0: (laughs) There are pieces upon which we can extrapolate actual global history and impugnate upon this galaxy far, far away. Yes. It is not always the prettiest thing to do, but I get your point. I, I, I at least can understand your point. Uh, Were we supposed to recognize the elite troopers from anything else, or are we just supposed to understand that they become the death trooper squadrons that exist in something like Rogue One or some of the other materials that occur later on in the timeline? Was that something that had existed prior to this? Uh, No, it hadn't
1: existed prior to this. I'll be interested to see as far as the elite squad is concerned, um, because in one of the reference materials, I believe it was, maybe the Rogue One visual guide or something like that, um, there was something about the uh, Death Troopers being modified um, in some way. Modified? And, yeah. I don't remember the specifics about it, but that's why you know you have that um, certain voice um, to them and things like that. And so... I think more or less we're supposed to assume that these are going to be the Death Troopers, but philosophy-wise, I think it's showing us, you know, why that transition from clones to Stormtroopers happened and why it was so easy to start conscripting these millions of people, because we forget that... (laughs) If we forget that the characters that we're watching haven't seen Star Wars, they don't know everything that, you know, like... (laughs) It's really, it's it's really easy to forget that they don't know everything that's happening. They have their very limited, you know, certain point of view, and so they're going to believe what's in p- presented in front of them as truth, as most of us are. Uh, and and so, I mean, again, that's another parallel to Nazi Germany is this information of this is good. These people are bad was put in front of people. And because it was so effectively done, it was able to become the truth, even though it may or may not have been the truth. Obviously we know that it was not the truth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Quick, but, we're, we're not Nazi sympathizers here. Right. A hundred percent. Like, but sure. bad, bad, bad. That, yes. But you know, again, like, George Lucas set up those real-world parallels uh, that were there. You know, again, not a one-to-one, but definitely real-world parallels. And we can see, you know, the tragedy that happened in our world on both a very global but also a very personal scale, which is something that, you know, when we get to, like, Alderaan, it's, it's sad... But we don't have any attachment to that planet while we're watching the movie. Uh, we feel bad for we feel bad for Leia, and as we've gotten more and as we've seen, you know, Leia Princess of Alderaan, and cert, from a certain point of view, and and met more characters who end up on Alderaan or are from Alderaan, we get more of that depth. But from the film itself, we don't get a lot of uh, emotional attachment to that True. genocide. True. And so, as we're getting more of these stories from more of these um, points of view, we're getting more depth to the personal impact that, you know, a tragedy um, like Order 66 and then a transition to a tyrannical empire has on not the everyday person, we get some of that, but on a variety of different people.
0: Is there a problem? No problem. We'll I'll just head to our barracks then. I liked there was something that stood out to me in the way in which Tarkin and Admiral, the other guy that introduced the newer character, Admiral. Uh, I think it's Admiral Rampart. Rampart, yeah, Rampart. Um, I wasn't quite, you know, the Heat he, Rampart institute some kind of a code. I'm going to get this a code cycle, cycle chain. Oh, the chain the code, code
1: cylinders, Or it,
0: something in order to kind of track movements of the citizens. And you get the idea that he's building a database in, of the Imperial citizens. Well, if you flash forward a little bit, you'll remember in Victory's Price that Kai's actually makes his way back to Coruscant to what? Find a database of Imperial citizens. Oh. No connection. Wow. We should talk about Victory's Price sometimes because I listen to you guys talk about it on the dare- uh, burning the Sacred Text. And I think you dramatically underappreciated that series of books. Lindsay, we're going to fight.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I did not make that connection at all, but that's absolutely
0: I, I there. I find it myself. I ha- saw somebody mention it online. I was, God, I'm going to steal that and take it. It was good. Yeah. I appreciated that. Well, and the, um, the code
1: cylinders are, uh, I believe, the the little stylus type things that the Imperials have in their little pocket protector.
0: I mean, those, yeah, those are, are all used for rank indication too. So yeah, I'm talking about more like the second episode is the one where they have to get like the clearance code basically right. to prove that they are who they are, you know, kind of their n- new version of his license kind of thing. And that's where they're building the database from. So why don't we move on to what you had? You had a, a larger connection or a larger well, thing you wanted to kind of pick on? Yeah, one you know, one of the things that's
1: really stood out to me. Um it, it started with the first episode and it's continued on in other episodes is this idea of identity. Uh which, you know, we've had these stories before and really like all storytelling to an extent is is a story struggle for identity and um, things like that. But to me, as far as Star Wars is concerned, I think this is a a nice little spin because the Bad Batch were outcasts before Order 66, uh, where we don't always get that. You know, we get the Jedi who were, you know, a part of the norm. You get the, uh, you know, characters in the Clone Wars who were, they were close to the story. They were, you know, more or less normal in air quotes uh whereas order 66 or excuse me the bad batch were were weirdos and freaks and then you get a mega and that throws another twist into their plans and their struggle for identity uh which i just became really fascinated by so that led me to thinking about you know the team and how it fits together and uh is Nala, uh, Nala mention of five remaining defective clones which is mm-hmm. really interesting because five is considered the number of humanity it's considered uh a symbol of god in uh, certain christian uh interpretations and then even going back as far as the mayans uh the number five was considered perfect. Uh, It was a number of perfection. So I really like this idea that you have, you start with the five, right? The five Bad Batchers, you know, the four Defective Clones and Echo. And you think, okay, that's the complete team. That's the complete five. Well, then Crosshair leaves and that's messed up. And then you get Omega coming in and, oh, wait, hold on. She's the other one of the five that they were talking about. So Echo doesn't fit in somehow. So now they're still incomplete. So just this idea of completing this team and the identity of them as a whole being affected by the identity of the individuals that are a part of it is something that I'm, I've been really fascinated by.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I like the way the episode set up that question because as soon as they say there, there are five of them total and you in your brain you tick them off one, two, three, five, you remember Ek not part of the original. Mm-hmm. He's not a defective clone. He doesn't meet the criteria. So in my brain, I was like, okay, is this an oversight? Is this telling me something I'm going to need to know in the next 30 minutes? And I was trying to tell him if it's not an oversight, it's going to be important, but there's a little nagging in the back of my brain. I was like, oh, but could somebody have well, just not thought about it? No, it's pretty clear that they 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 meant that as a, a signpost things to come later on in the episode, which is which was, you know, it's fine, good. It was for for the for the audience in which this is intended, which really comes into question in the third episode of this show. Um, what they're thinking about their audience, I'm not really sure anymore. Well, let's uh, jump. Let's jump there because
1: I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on. All right, as far as oh boy, here Echo is go. concerned,
0: no. Okay. Oh, as far as echoes concerned. All right. This yeah. Will be good. Yeah.
1: So you you need you have them getting the flux capacitor or whatever they're getting. I know that's the wrong series, <laughs> <the> but <laughs> uh, <laughs> just fun. You cut me off good there. I got not gonna lie. Uh, but you have this you know episode called replacements. You bring back this I you know you bring back crosshair who is part of these the you know five remaining defective clones um, who's no longer there. They're incomplete. And Tech says something to the extent of, we have a spare on board. Talking about the capacitor nice. as he's sitting next to Echo. Okay, I mean... Echo's gonna die, y'all.
0: Yeah, he's been dead before. <laughs> uh, him and Palpatine over there chilling with their little I tubes mean, in their if head. If anything, you know, Star Star Wars has shown as death is you know eh, not as big a deal as it used. <laughs> yeah, but There's I definitely millions of echoes running around. It's gonna be all right. <laughs>
1: I definitely, I definitely think that um, we're going to see Echo as the... We, we talked about you know the characters possibly dying and, and what oh, yeah. order they may die in. I think Echo is going to be our first one to go, and I don't oh, feel like it's going to be that far from where we are right now. I feel like...
0: Nah, I'm kind of hoping for a Rogue One-esque, mm, everyone goes down with the ship kind of thing. I would gone. be okay with that,
1: but I feel like if you have crosshair... Kill Echo, you raise the stakes a ton.
0: Yeah, that could be used. Even that episode does d- a l- demonstrate a little bit that the characters still, you know, feel for him. They still have an attachment to him. You know, says, he shot you. Records like, yeah, I know. Good on him. Um, so they still, ha- he's still part of. He would still be welcomed back into the family. It's probably going to take an action like that, which makes him uh, cement his position on the opposite side of their own particular faction. Yeah. But, I don't know. I, I definitely didn't read that particular thing to it. I, I thought it was, if you're going to hint at anything, I thought it was going to be hinting at Omega. as like, we've got a backup. She's right there. No,
1: right there. I, I, I think Omega
0: will be the one to survive uh, yeah, the absolutely. series. I can't really see them killing off a over 13 year old kid on screen. Yeah. Although dude, that third episode, is rough. I sat in the, and watched it with my two boys who were, you know, on the ca- on the couch watching. I was kind of because I would already watched it before they saw it, and I'm watching their reaction. They're just kind of like shrinking back into their seats and like their eyes lowering a bit and getting like, "What is happening?" Like that rough sequence of crosshair when he kind of takes control of. Well, I guess he ain't control, but when he really takes the operation mm-hmm. on Onderon, uh into his own hands and. Really takes down not only the uh, the commando who seeks to rise up and reject the good soldiers follow orders mantra. Even the the shooting of the the captives was really rough and well. And you th- dark. You think about like
1: some of the stuff we got in Clone Wars. Like there's some dark stuff in Clone Wars for sure. Like uh Stila Guerrera dying, Ahsoka cutting off five Mandalorians' heads at the same time. <laughs> like, there's some dark oh, yeah. stuff it in there. Right. But you don't yeah, see actually, that. You don't see
0: really her do it. You oh, they've dialed in on a lot of the the technical aspects in order to make it as effective as possible. Mm-hmm. things out. There's heavy, distorted synth, synth music that's like, kind of like the heavy thrumming notes from the Siege of Man or arcs are really used to, to strong effect here. I think that um, Kevin Kiner is the... The composer yeah. here, right? He's the one responsible for the music. Really did his Hans Zimmer homework um, and studied up on thing inception and how that kind of use of large blaring horn sections um, can be used to invoke series of dread and repetition makes it harder and harder for you to escape it. And that was kind of perfected in The Siege of Mandalore, but that, and being utilized in this particular sequence was really, really rough. It's a very dark and scary moment in the show. Um, especially like you said, rules may be, is not nearly, I think, brutal in its depiction of violence. Um, Clone Wars gear, mostly in season seven. Um, that last season gets pretty in your face with some of that stuff. I, and, and it's difficult for you to kind of rationalize, like, is this just the natural progression of the show? Like, does this make sense for things to escalate like, or, or, Or does it exclude kids coming in at the tail end of the story here? Because if we had watching, like if if Clone Wars had started now instead of back in 2008, it would be perfectly fine suited for the nine and seven year old in the house. I have no problem with that. But we're seven, eight years behind story-wise where the creators have had this time to kind of build their audience who was there at the beginning and kind of work them through and steadily ease them into more and more uncomfortable territories. If you're using this as an entry point into the animated side of Star Wars, it's a tough spot to get into, especially yeah. the age range in which these are supposed to target. targeted, and I'm not wild about that, but I'm probably also the same person who is complaining about the way in which they hid violence in Rebels. You know, take that for whatever. You know, yeah, they do a whole lot of punching of stormtroopers in the head when they have blasters in their hands. So eh, you got to do a little creative interpretation, I suppose.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I obviously am not looking at it from you know a parent's perspective as much, and so. Well, looking
0: famously you hate kids so I,
1: yeah they're the worst um <laughs> not a fan but thinking about just the comparison of you know the violence that we did get in um even some of the you know more tragic moments that i mentioned in like clone wars and then like you said in rebels it's very uh more or less light on the violence um even mm-hmm. you know when Thrawn shoots Bendu. Like you hear the shot, but you don't see him shoot it. You see Crosshair shoot somebody in the chest. Like yes. cold hard yes. murder. Um, and and it's one and, thing and to to his be fair, own guy, right? <laughs> and it's one thing to see it in mass in like an order 66 type situation where it's the middle of a battle or something like that, or, you know, that it's happening across the galaxy. It's a lot different to see it in a very intimate setting in a more personal setting like that. So yeah, you're a hundred percent, hundred percent right there. And, uh, there's definitely a dynamic being set up between crosshair and Omega because mm-hmm. you, you mentioned kind of the music there in that crosshair moment. When Omega gets to go, when when they agree, Hunter agrees to let her go um, onto the planet with them on the mission. They're on a very dark, foggy, cloudy planet. And it's very jovial, uplifting... Yeah. curious kind of music yeah so it's a really interesting how they're kind of setting up that contrast there and i'm wondering if that was a momentary thing or if that's something that's going to become um her theme more or less
0: no i, I definitely think that's that that's intentional in order to tell us that you know it, it's kind of like the, the title of the episode says it all She's placed Hunt or she has replaced uh, Crosshair on the team. Mm-hmm. There has replaced his entire team with an entirely brand new team. You know, he's replaced Hunter as the leader, and he's replaced the the leadership style. Instead of being cooperative and communal and kind of like let's all work together as a team, he has grabbed opportunity by the throat and made it bend to his own will. Which is fine because that's the contrast that we're supposed to be seeing here. It's the difference between. What the ideals of the republic were supposed to be versus the reality of the empire. Palpatine seizes control by the throat, much like Crosshair does. So he's in line and is clearly delineating those two, those two options, those two paths that lay before the different the different characters. Yeah, the music is another part of that. Think about when she figures out that the dragon beastie thing uh, reacts to the flashlight, and she throws the flashlight and. and the monster goes for it, and the camera goes back to Omega, and she is bathed in the slow-moving green light, and the music is ethereal and inquisitive, and you know, pleasant and pleasing, and whatnot. And then it's like it cuts, but you know, you keep that in your mind. And comes like on the heels of Crosshair, just giving the order to mow down the seven mm-hmm. or so innocent bystanders who were captured, and, and it's like, oh, this is. It's not subtle. If anything, the show is not subtle, and that's okay. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. it's nice to have that kind of clear, you know, hitting you over the head. The bad guys are bad, and the good guys are good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think there bad. is, I think there's a, you know, you can delve into more, and I definitely think that there is more in there, but I mean, you know, we do really deep dives, and, and my articles reviewing the episode, just like I did with Mandalorian, and kind of the symbolism and stuff, like, Mm -hmm. That stuff is designed to go way too deep. Like, I don't think that, you know, they were spending a whole bunch of time thinking about the number five and the different uh, combinations of five that they could make. They they may have been, you know, a reference or two at best, you know, in the writer's room of like, oh, hey, this is kind of cool. But, you know, that's one thing that, you know, is great about grander storytelling like this is that you can get these different ideas and these different levels of uh, involvement in the text, which is really cool. Um, we've kind of skirted around uh, the second episode, which uh, I am a big fan of for the simple reason
0: that we got a freaking Nexu.
1: <laughs> I love the Nexu so much. It is it my favorite creature in Star Wars.
0: Fine. It was great. It was definitely a thing that happened.
1: God, I love it so much. More Nexu's justice for the Nexu. Okay, he was just okay. doing what was natural. They, you know, she came into his territory. He had to defend himself. Wow, so. strong position. Justice on for the Nexu.
0: Naturalism, I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, eat
0: the child.
1: I didn't say eat the child. I just said don't kill the right. Nexu. There, those are different things. <laughs> wow. Those are very different things.
0: No, but... I mean, okay.
1: I I think, you know, Cut and Run, the second episode, is really good because, um, you know, you really get that dynamic, that father and kid dynamic between Hunter and Omega. And we've had that, obviously, a lot in Star Wars. Mm -hmm. um, But again, just like with the idea of identity, I think there's a twist on it because with Luke and Anakin, you have good and evil with Din and Grogu. You have a more pure, like father son, like, you know, in literal baby form. Um, (laughs) and even with Kanan and Ezra, you have more of like a, what happens when an uncle has to be the dad or brother has to be the dad with Hunter and Omega. I think there's a dynamic of someone growing up in war and someone growing up in peace, but also someone growing up in this dynamic seeing the ills of the world versus someone being naive to them. And I really like that because they are such polar opposites. And to me, it's going to be really interesting to see how they these characters were created for similar purposes, but have ended up in such different places only to come together to have to figure out this common ground. To me, Hmm. that's a different twist on it. You know, Um I don't know. Jay- I think
0: that she's she doesn't strike me as the most naive character on the show. Um, she seems very well informed about what the K- Kinoans are up to. Like she seems to be involved in conversations between, you know, the prime minister and the director there to say this is who the, the you know the five are because she knows all about them, right? Oh yeah, she knows them on site and when they have never ever met her. So it it's to me like she's got the insider information, but she's never put. Anything into practice before. So I feel like it's a confidence issue where, you know, Hunter's kind of, he's been on the field for, you know, his entire life. He lives his life a quarter mile at a time. And Omega is much more like, dude, I almost had you. (laughs) where this is her first race, she could tell you everything about it and how to do it, and she knows exactly what goes where, but she just never actually had to use those skills before, so I feel like it's going to have to come. Like, there's going to be an episode where she has to shoot something with a blaster, and it's going to scar her, and there's going to be a lot of explanation like uh, of Hunter where he says, well, I remember my first kill, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Like, that moment's coming, right? We know that's like two mm. episodes away. I hadn't so thought I about like that, honestly. <gasps> what Maybe if she has to kill won- Echo? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you took this in a different direction than I was gonna go. Maybe she's the sleep cell. I like yeah. that idea. Maybe. <laughs> oh man, what if she is? What if she's really evil though? Underneath it all. Oh, I like it it's all the better now. I'm gonna go back and rewatch it and look for all the dark. <laughs> <laughs> we put all the crosshairs music against her actions, and she'd be like. Didn't even use the blaster, and then it was like, Wah. <laughs> <laughs> she killed it with her bare hands. We never saw what she did to that dragon. Let's that it doesn't come out after her. It's not, and it's it's definitely been shot. <laughs> so she's probably gonna like look in the background for a skull of that dragon or something. Probably, yeah. We're we're missing it all.
1: Well, I mean, Cut Trust says either. that uh Kamen Owens don't create anything without a purpose. So.
0: Yeah, and you notice the line where I think it's Sue says the five of them are Kaminoan property, like, like mm. oh my goodness, that was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty on the nose right there. Wait till sure they hire bounty hunters like Boba Fett to go and bring the five of them back in. Oh man, that would just Ooh, if we got like Cad Bane I, and Dengar and everybody like I'd teaming up, hundred percent expect that to be coming up soon because you don't draw a line like, like their property, they'll come soon or something like that without. Clearly, we have a whole cast of characters who are exactly primed for that role. It's one of like three job opportunities. Start <laughs> you're a politician, you're a Jedi, or you're a bounty hunter. It's really about. To be fair, you could be a smuggler also. You could also work at Dex's Diner. Five. There's five jobs you can have once you graduate high school. That's it.
1: Dex's Diner. That's where I'm going. I am <laughs> aspiring for greatness. Um,
0: Happy Attack of the Clones Day.
1: It was, Dude. Nexu for life. Uh, I'm going to show up to celebration with a Nexu for life neck tattoo.
0: <laughs> no, Wow. I thought you'd just stick with a ta- uh, t-shirt, but okay. You're going to go check for the neck tattoo.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm about that life. Um, are you? Okay. Okay. I am not. I'm pretty sure you're not. Okay. I am definitely not. I would cry so much while getting that tattoo.
0: That would hurt Bro, so that bad. That would hurt a
1: beast um no but you know we've talked a lot about connections to you know other star wars and bringing other things in and i think that uh this second episode really does do a lot of that like hey you've seen this stuff before um Mm -hmm. but here's a little bit of a twist on it So, there's three instances, uh, really, that stood out to me in this particular episode. Um, And so, I wanted to just toss them out one by one and get your thoughts on them. So, first is uh, when Omega uh, comes onto the planet and touches dirt for the first time and Mm -hmm. is amazed by it. To me, there's that connection there between Rey um, and her seeing... I've never seen so much green in the whole galaxy, but also... The one I think people are sleeping on is her touching the rain on Octo.
0: Oh, yeah. That's the one I thought of when she stands out from under the falcons. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, you have it right by a ship. You have, um, you know, this new environment. Um, there, you know, dirt, yeah, dust is, yeah, is it's a little more
0: child wonder. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's great. Um, That's awesome. Then there's the Shmi-Anakin parallel that I found really fascinating. Oh, when... Okay. Uh, Omega is walking away from Hunter and she looks back um, like Anakin does right before he runs back to Shmi and she encourages him to go. The, it has that same feel to it. Oh, okay, I know it. What you're talking about now. In Phantom Menace. No, um, I
0: was trying to put put it into, in terms of the episode. It's like, I don't Oh, gotcha. It, but you're talking yeah. about when he's trying to send her on the ship without right. actually following her on himself. And to me... I'm on board now. To me,
1: I immediately am like, okay, well, that parallel's set up, so what does it mean? And it got me thinking about how, you know, for Anakin and Shmi, there's that relationship there. There's that love there. There's that connection there um, that pulls him back to her. And I think, you know, that's obviously meant to show us how hard the separation is for him and, and will affect him in the future. And for Omega and Hunter she doesn't get pulled back because they don't have that relationship yet. Now, obviously later she does because this is the establishment of that father child relationship. Uh, But I think that, you know, that was a really interesting way to emotionally set up that parallel.
0: It means that she's going to come back and watch Hunter die. And then she's going to kill everyone. She is evil. This is my new theory. You're, you're making some valid points. I'm just taking what evidence you're presenting and drawing conclusions <laughs> based on that wild <laughs> conclusions. But there they are.
1: <laughs> there they are. Um, then there's, there's one other one that stood out to me. Um, in season one of rebels, uh, Old Masters, something of the Old Masters. The one where uh, Kanan tries to uh, rescue Luminara and so that she can train Ezra and everything there. Holy cow. At the end of that episode, there's a moment when Ezra and Kanan are sitting on the uh, ramp of the, the ghost and Kanan says something to the extent of, like, I just want you to have the best master and Ezra replies, I don't want the best master, I want you. And then he's like, well, that's not what I meant and can, Yeah. Um but that's very similar to Omega and Hunter where Omega's like I just want to be with you. I don't want the best life for me. I want I want to be with you. Um which again, you know, there's huh. definitely connections there. Um the, you know, I think part of the reason I was primed for that was having seen Caleb in in the first episode. Um uh, I don't,
0: interesting.
1: I don't know whether that was intentional as a means to prime you for it or not, but there's definitely um, a parallel there of these yeah. kind of two people that don't really fit together that are going to have to figure out how to do that.
0: I don't know if it's necessarily a, a direct pointing to that scene um, so much as some of the other ones, but I think that they, th- these stories are coming from uh, the common source material of, you know, and crew which isn't bad. I don't want it to sound like that's, I can say this isn't original stuff, but you can definitely see where the team likes to hit certain beats. Um, and I think that shows up in another one, like Omega's introduction was very similar to a introduction in the original clone Wars movie thing that came out, before the show actually started airing where, you know, she kind of wanders onto the scene where none of our heroes know who this person is. yet She knows everything about them. Um, and also from like a positional understanding of the characters, their you know Omega, Omega and Ahsoka's introductions are very similar because the first time you see Ahsoka, you're like, "Who is this? She can't possibly be important. She can't survive past Order sixty six anyway." So uh, it's very easy to write off the character, and Omega is kind of the same. Where like she's this young, um, which means she's brand new. She has accelerated life. Uh, the reduced Ooh, life d- is a does short she lifespan? Does I, she? I mean, we don't know that. But I think we're primed to understand that because of everybody else does. You know, all of the clones have that accelerated life and therefore an life expectancy. But I think this is one of the things that makes her different. There's no other kid clones around
1: right now. This
0: well, is- there's one, but that one did not have his... Um, acceleration apply Mm -hmm. so she's probably but think about it that would put if that were accurate if omega doesn't have an accelerated growth that means she was processed and i hate to use that word to describe her but i don't really have a better one right now uh, at the same time as boba fett and that doesn't make good sense her name is omega again Little on the nose, she's clearly supposed to be the, the pinnacle of the cloning technology. And how would they have 13 years ago? You know, they would have had to go through these years and years of practice and research and, and trying and, and spitting out batch after batch after batch until they finally get the best one possible. That's what this character is supposed to represent. To me, that's what I think that they're trying to telegraph now. And we know that he turns towards a conscripted force from. We have actually seen the next couple of movies that come. So we know that happens. So I do have a question for you at the end of this, because this goes back to my ignorance about some of what goes on in this time period. What is this Camino rebellion I keep hearing about online that people are expecting to see? And I'm sure they'll be disappointed with how it's brought up. Do you know what this is about? No, I definitely don't. Okay. The impression that I get is that there's some kind of a rebellion that occurs where... And, and again, I'm filling in blanks, having not searched this because I was really counting on you. <laughs> I, I
1: feel like this is like a theory that people have. Not
0: is it? Does it fall into like the Stormtrooper Rebellion that people yeah. are building towards? The Sith. All right. Well yeah. then, sorry guys. Uh, let me so you, know, you might have to talk a little bit here while I Google things appropriately. <laughs>
1: no, I think th- I think that like from what we have there is a transition time from clones to stormtroopers because in Lords of the Sith, uh, as Vader and Palpatine are, are going through, uh, Ryloth, they sit down and, uh, one of the Imperial guards or the Imperial guards or stormtroopers. I can't remember which one is there, but, they take their helmets off and one of them is a clone and one of them is a regular citizen. So there's a transition time where clones and uh, recruits exist as stormtroopers at the same time. Hmm.
0: At least based on what we have so far. So I don't... It (laughs) turns out there's something in Battlefront 2, Star Wars Battlefront 2, a game, Mm. where they go back and there's some kind of clone versus stormtrooper. I'm trying to see if this is... The PlayStation Two game that I played 137 years ago.
1: No, that would that that would be uh, the newer one. Yeah, this is the old one. This is, this is not the Inferno Squad game. No. Oh, okay. Nope. So all the way back in what what year was that? 2006, know, like six, seven, forty
0: two, two thousand five. Okay. So yeah, lots
1: happened since then.
0: The joke is, I'm old. Get it?
1: It's not a joke. If it's <laughs> true.
0: You know what? I'm going to reach to this microphone and slap on the wrist with a ruler. You sh- you go so ahead and try. That's a callback to something we talked about earlier. That's
1: that's that's a good radio right there. My
0: style of humor is when I explain the joke after I've made the joke and it's not actually funny. The explanation is what makes me laugh.
1: <laughs> well, speaking of uh things that we've we've referenced before. <laughs> You ready for this? Going to talk about Rogue One now? No, we are going to talk about Luke on the second Death Star.
0: Oh my gosh! Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a cave. We get it. No, um, it's a big deal. Mur.
1: I, I really immediately again. This is me,
0: so I'm making <laughs> these on. connections. I, I, what are we? Okay. Hold on. Hey, give, me to, give me a second I'm to. Give re- me a second to like playing. All three of us going, where is he going with this now?
1: In the cave, you said the word. I didn't bring it up. I just would like that noted for the record. Uh, uh, Omega has the light that the Ordo moon dragon wants, Oh, right? my gosh. I can see it now. Ugh. Light representing hope.
0: Embarrassing.
1: And she has a chance to, to kill it. She has a clean shot right in the head it'll die she'll get out everything will be fine and she finds a peaceful solution now here's what you're gonna like drew because you brought this up in our group chat
0: light away.
1: well yes she does um i actually had not thought about that light as a lightsaber i was more thinking of it as as a simple of She literally
0: hope. throws it away she and, does and distracts the thing and then gets <laughs> she out she does it's kind of oh my god
1: well you brought this up in our group chat The Uh idea of Omega being force sensitive, and I think this is a check in that force sensitive box.
0: Oh, definitely, man! Like this is like she can sense the life in the thing, and like she can tell it's reacting to what it wants, and it wants the energy within the tool rather than it wants her of its presence. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel like the to to go back uh, five minutes or so. What makes her special? Probably. The introduction of a high midichlorian count into her system. Like, I, I feel like that's telegraph. Maybe I'm imagining things, but I mean,
1: I mean, it makes sense it.
0: because at the end of
1: replacements, when you have uh, the two Kaminoans talking, they say, uh, I, think it, I think it's not to say, mentions a superior clone.
0: Mm-hmm, exactly. You
1: know, and we have, of course, see, here's my theory, all right? Here's the theory I'm running with uh, as far as, like, Force-sensitive Omega comes, because okay. I'm more on board than I was after you mentioned it after the first episode. You have, you know, Palpatine trying to figure out how to live forever. Uh, you obviously need a Force-sensitive body, which means chlorines, right? Who has the highest chlorine count ever recorded? Anakin. He's human. Okay. Let's reproduce a human because obviously that body has the capacity to hold. Right. Somehow we're going to find out that that didn't work, which when we get to um, Rise of Skywalker, like Palpatine has been, you know, trying to use a human body. Then you go to Mandalorian and you have. That's
0: really where it stands.
1: Baby Yoda. Right. You have Grogu. Yes. So, my theory is they realize, okay, the human thing's not working. We're not able to get what we want. All right, who's the next highest midi chlorine count? That little green guy. Let's reproduce (laughs) him. Now, I don't think that Grogu is a clone of baby Yoda, or excuse me, a clone of Yoda in particular, but some kind of genetic modification, creation of this creature, trying to figure out how to basically manipulate. Midi Chlorian counts because if you think about it, you know if you could do that, if you're Palpatine and you can do that, like besides just being able to live forever, you can basically mass produce Inquisitors. You can mass produce these acolytes, you know, mm-hmm. and that is that's convenient when you're trying to you know tyrannically rule a, a an entire galaxy.
0: Well, and that, like, like you said, with the Inquisitors specifically, is because they were designed, especially from a visual standpoint, we're supposed to understand that the Inquisitors are force using uh, corner cutters. Basically, they're cheating to get as far ahead as possible without putting in the work, which is why they their lightsabers spin um, on automation rather than the actual Inquisitor using the force to make it go. Filoni in an interview made won't make it clear that these guys are cheating the system by not actually using as the force as a truly trained Jedi or Sith would do, but they're using shorts in order to get the same kind of effect, and that always blows up in their face when they run into somebody who is actually trained in the ways of the force. They don't compare, so right. I don't think it's a stretch to say like those kinds of guys are being artificially manipulated into this. So you know, you can take somebody who has a modicum of sensitivity and then up the game with a steroid injection essentially and i think this is probably the, where that begins it, maybe it's the same kind of technology, like you said it connects to mandalorian where they talk about m counts and whatnot so they're clearly on on the they're, they're clearly evaluating tricking, and trying to understand how that works and Snoke becomes the best example at their time, but maybe not su- uh, completely successful, that's why his, you know, physical form is falling apart and then perfected by the time we get to Exegol and uh <gasps> Palpatine's jumping between body to body. Dude, she is
1: evil. Omega is Snoke.
0: I mean, it's he wears a Gold bathrobe there in Last Jedi, and she got this, you know, nice little jewel thing going on. So,
1: could you imagine if that uh, that Snoke body that we see in Mandalorian is actually the Omega that we're getting right now? Oh, that's creepy. That would be very creepy.
0: Uh, I don't know that there's going to be some kind of tie through on all of these things, but I think that each time. unreasonable to look for those kinds of connections if they're going to use the same kind of things in every different... um, Oh, yeah. In every show. I mean... (laughs) Cloning has become one of the the central issues of the entire Star Wars series. Never mind just the movies or shows or books individually, but clearly. When you take it all together, it's everywhere. Well, and I think it 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 raises
1: the question of programming versus choice, right? Because you create these clones to follow their programming. It's a nature-versus-nurture situation. You know, to what extent do these sentient beings that were created for a singular purpose have free will and have choice versus how much of it is just you're born that way? You know, which we see with Anakin. You know, he's nurtured when he's young, but there's still you know that anger inside of him that you get in attack of the clones that gets brought out more because he's not in the right environment so i think maybe. there's there's some I stuff there the
0: clone, maybe like that might be an ancillary issue but i think this one is much more about like i think your path at the beginning of programming like there is definition applied to an individual rather than giving them the opportunity to define themselves. Yeah. When you compare how the Rebellion, or not the Rebellion, excuse me, the allowed clone troopers to personalize their appearance, their armor, and their environment, you know, they get to mark off kills and whatever. You know, think about Rex's armor and how many it has on every single piece of plastoid armor. Versus the Stormtrooper Corps, which is uniform across the board. There's differentiation between divisions and uh, responsibilities, which is fine, but we're not talking about the same kind of, you know, everyone gets to cut their hair a different way. Everyone gets to tattoo themselves a different way. I mean, it is a homogenous group, you know, where the Stormtroopers were supposed to be this particular thing, so everybody looked the same, no matter whether they were armored up or not.
1: So, well, and Cut mentions programming that programming issue in the second episode. You know when he talks us about clones fought so hard to get names, and now people are willingly turning themselves into numbers. Like,
0: yeah, exactly. They're definitely
1: yeah. setting up this
0: idea. Well, they're building up off of that, that idea that's introduced yeah. with the films themselves. So I, I like that kind of that connectivity that uh, the meshing of the mediums where the themes that run throughout them definitely do line up. So I, I appreciate that. That shows good care of the the material, and I like that. That that at least is encouraging. What I'd like to make sure we do is take it in a new and interesting direction. Because if it's just going to repeat the same ideas without giving us a whole lot of new information to go along with it, then I start to question about whether or not this is going to be an important piece of this story forward. You know, we've got a lot... Of, you know, we talked about this with Thrawn a little bit. Like, if you're not going to contribute to the overall uh, conversation if you're not going to give any 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 new verses in the songs we're singing uh, what do you doing? like w- why am I going to read these books so this same thing with this show if if as long as it's going to do something interesting in the end and give us something to kind of really change the way we we have previously evaluated similar material i'm on board if it's going to give me something new to do if it's just going to be the same and I'm not really sure what that would even look like in the ending, but you and I have already kind of bandied out three or four different possibility of things that are going to happen in this show. We based on what we know has occurred in similar medium. They're going to take the opportunity to change that up, subvert some expectations a little. Bit. Hey, man, this could be as good as Rebels, in my opinion. Well, and I think that
1: they are setting something up. You know, when it comes to Crosshair, because with you know like Rex. We know his chip was removed, and the other uh, clones that are with him on in Rebels, their chips were removed, right? We know that the uh, Bad Batch, their chips were defective because of their modifications. But then you have Crosshair, who it seems like willingly chooses to follow Order 66 and stay with the Empire. But then you also have them manipulating his chip. And so there's a lot yeah, of question. <laughs> it, it raises the question of like how much of his choices are his own, which I find really interesting. Cause I'm on, I go back and forth every time I watch the episode. One time I'll watch an episode and I'm like, yeah, that was definitely his choice. And the next time I watch it, I'm like, I don't know. So to me, they are putting a spin on that. In terms of like how much does the institution control
0: our own programming? Hmm. We'll have to see how it develops because I kind of bumped on that where they were talking about can we like improve the strength of his devotion or you know basically level up his stats and devotion and assign character points to that. I kind of bump against that because I feel like that starts to take that suffers the taking away agency problem that. Uh, the prop, the the prophecy, prophecy one or the chosen one, kind of things, affect the way Anakin behaves. Like now, we have to question whether or not he's making his own decisions, and I don't think that's fair. I think characters should always be allowed to make their own decisions here, especially on something like this. He was already on that path. You don't really need to amp up his devotion to the Empire. He's there. We could have given him stakes and you know, put him in a position of leadership and say, you earned this because good soldiers follow orders, and you have done that, and we're going to reward you for that. Like you said, when they start to manipulate that, now we're just taking away his agency. And now he's, he's a clone in the most true sense of the word, where he has cloned, his devotion has now been cloned. He's got the same kind of fanaticism that a Tarkin or a Rampart would have. And, and I don't know that that is necessarily a super strong storytelling choice, but I'm willing to see how that plays out in the coming. Because I don't think he would have chosen to join back up the rest of his teammates. I think he would have followed this path on his own. He was heading that way. He turned them in for crying out loud. Oh, I... Th- I Snitched on him. I uh, I
1: usually end up in more of the camp at the end of, of him making his own choices. And... So because he wants to support the empire and he wants to be a good soldier and follow orders that makes the manipulation of the chip easier because his will is not fighting against it. And mm. when you think about when you think about the whole like scale of stormtroopers and how things evolve and you end up at the First Order where you have brainwashing happening um, like we see in the Phasma novel, that they literally have propaganda playing almost all the time, even when they're sleeping. Um, in mm-hmm. Resistance, um, that there is a mention of um brain scraping to kind of reset their devotions, like
0: brain scraping.
1: Yeah, yeah, to basically like take one of the first order. Stormtroopers who is starting to think for themselves and kind of more or less reset them is the impression that we're supposed to get from that. So I think that this is a, a larger thread than maybe you're giving it credit for, because I do think that this is something where they are testing to see: okay, these chips worked. So what if we could figure out a way to take that and and put it in everybody so that we could control them and that leads to okay when you get to the first order what makes the troops of the first order want to follow and not question things and and have that cult-like fervor is you took a situation where they willingly wanted to be a part of it because the first order was providing them with something that they didn't have, something that uh, the one soldier in replacements talks about—you know, roof over their head, food in their stomach, and stuff like that—and you add on this mind manipulation and propaganda, and it just primes even more a cult-like situation. Yeah. To me, I think that there, I think there could be a thread there, depending on how they decide to end. Uh, the story with crosshair and yeah. it, is it, a, is it one where there, cause there's so many possibilities with what you could do. You could have one where, you know, the machine that's, you know, his little MRI machine or whatever that he's going into fails <laughs> and he will, like, it's very clear that he willingly made the choice to stay or, a situation like we got with Rex in uh, season seven, where it's very clear that chip is controlling them one way and he's choosing another way. Like, I don't think that you can mess around with the chip and it's malfunctioning and the extent to which it works after having Rex fighting against, like we see his free will and his individuality fighting against the programming of the
0: chip. And yeah, but Crosshair's not in that position where he was in- endorsing basically the same position he was in the end. I, I I would not be surprised if we don't hear about it for the rest of the show because they've already kind of used that. it's It's not an important role in his character. It hasn't changed anything. All it does is kind of removes some of his ability to make or to ask questions and whatever. I mean, he was heading down like we said before, he was kind of heading down that path to begin with. Oh, absolutely. And so he doesn't have to stop and he his opportunity to stop questions about whether or not he's making the right choices already occurred prior to him laying down and, and getting we need a better verb, getting his, his chip zapped. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds bad. Well but I think that like it's more
1: a comment on, you know, the fact that the will and the individuality of the character is going to affect the effectiveness of the chip, right? Because Rex I mean, is one of the it can. most in,
0: yeah, I've seen it where it can, but these but, are not normal clones to begin with either,
1: right? These are very individualized clones, which again brings me back to Rex, who we, I mean, I know I didn't see the trailer, but I know is going to show up in the show. I've heard it and everything like that. Uh, so Rex is gonna well, okay, you know, sure. be sure,
0: why not? Wasn't Rex in the trailer? The same, I don't know. it's been like a hundred oh. it's it's Well, so long ago. Do you think they can get the actor to come back and do the voice? Mm, probably not.
1: I think he's pretty busy with another show. Uh, well,
0: maybe. Yeah.
1: So I think you know you have that parallel <laughs> of you know it's Rex's individuality. I know. There you go, explaining your jokes again. You have Rex. I
0: know it's so great.
1: You have Rex setting up the the individuality of uh, the clones and the free will, getting him to go against the chips programming, right? Whereas Crosshair, to an extent, it's again, it's not like a perfect opposite, but is going the other direction where he wants to follow orders. Therefore, the chip is more effective. And I wonder if okay. if you know the. Individuality of the rest of the Bad Batch
0: is part of what makes their chip not able to work. Be interesting to see, because again, you, I, you, I think we can both envision the moment Hunter and Crosshair are kind of standing on opposite ends of a battlefield, and it's dark and raining. And Hunter says something like, "I loved you. You were my brother." <sighs> and then Hunt, Crosshair's like, "I hate you." And then they fight, and then. Hunter cuts off Crosshair's arms and legs and leaves him for dead beside Baba I feel like I've seen something like that before. It's in the, uh, another one of those Fast and Furious movies. Oh, that's
1: right. Could you imagine if the end? Do you remember
0: the time Paul Walker cut off the legs and, the legs <laughs> and left him for dead? You ever remember that?
1: Oh man. Well, Ludacris was acting <laughs> a fool. Oh, oh gosh,
0: it's like it was right there, and I tripped over it. Oh man, it hurts so good.
1: Hurts no, so I, I, how how cool would it be if one of the maybe even the final shot of the season or something in the season finale is Hunter on one side of the cliff and Crosshair on the oh, other? Golly. Oh, dude, that would be cool. There's so well, many I possibilities.
0: We've written the entire show for them. It's just a matter of them for them to come out, they said.
1: Yeah, they really should get on easy. doing this stuff. Like, ugh, we just got this all figured out already. Uh, Lucasfilm. Talk
0: about La Guerrera.
1: Yeah, he's there. Oh, <laughs> no, I do think, I, I think he, he is there very particularly to say that line of you can adapt and survive or die with the past
0: very is is just a a, he is a a fighter in search of a a fight oh yeah from the day the empire is born he's like no i will kill everyone in my path It's like bro okay the civil
1: war is coming oh okay i mean it's been like 30 minutes but all right sure (laughs) like dude grab a burger or something
0: i mean take it take a deep breath and like "Mm, nope nope he is he is all about it it's weird because he's right some of the times too and like when you go back and watch his the he when he's in rebels and he's yelling at mon mothma and he's like Mm -hmm. just wait you just wait for the empire to do something so wild and crazy that there's gonna be no choice to fight no choice but to fight and you're gonna wish you had started the day before and then they blow up alderaan it's like, yeah, it's almost like he's seen Star Wars before. <laughs> he's the character in the in the entire series who's actually seen these films. Could he be force sensitive and he's got the gift of foresight? Mm. Ooh. See, secretly, everyone's a Jedi. Oh yeah, obviously. Um,
1: yeah, and then there's I
0: like Saw's character.
1: I love Saw Gerrera. He, he because he challenges you to check your own morality. You know, mm. like there i, I kind of connected that line of you can either adapt and survive or die with the past with uh you know Kylo Ren's let the past die kill it if you Let's have to die. yep yep yeah, absolutely you know like he doesn't want to evolve he wants to get rid of everything that is trying to make him change from what he wants to be whereas saw is more of a realist of trying like this is all all that is constant is change and it doesn't matter. You know, he has that conversation with Jin where, you know, she, he's like, don't you hate to see the Imperial flag flying and stuff like that. Uh, Yeah. He, he's a fascinating character. I think they did an excellent job of giving a feel of clone wars saw with enough of an age up where I felt like, okay, that is a natural progression to Forrest Whitaker, which is very different from, you know, how we talked about Kanan earlier. So obviously they can get it right. So get it right. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Closing thoughts on Bad Batch and
0: uh, these first three episodes. I was nervous after the first one. I was afraid that the show was going to be exactly... What I was, what it, what I anticipated it would, to be, because it hadn't given me anything different. But the second and third episodes have given me uh, some things to think about, and some definitely interesting things that happen and allow us to move in a different direction. So I do plan on sticking with it for the next three episodes. But this is definitely one of those we're going to have to reevaluate every sixty days to see. Well, not sixty days. That's a, something different. But every couple of episodes to make sure that it really is delivering on. Maybe a promise it didn't make explicit, but that promise is that th- what's happening now is important and worthwhile to the entire sh- series of the show. Um, as long as everything, ma- you know, not everything matters, but as long as there's a plan, as long as there's a direction and there's a goal in mind, then I'm willing to stick. If you can follow the beats of Mandalorian, of the Mandalorian show, where everything matters and each episode builds off the, pe- the previous one. Think it will be? We'll call this one a success in the end. If it looks by the time through the entire season of the show that there was no plan and they were just kind of you know winging it from episode to episode, then I think we're going to lump this in with a different category of entries.
1: Yeah, and I think that's definitely something that is in question for no other reason than it's sixteen episodes in the season, you know, and we're so used to the eight to ten. Episodes, yeah, which to be fair, you know, 15 of them are going to be half an hour. So, sure, sure, you know, it's eight hours of TV. But when you're talking about, you know, the current culture of eight to 10 episodes and you're giving us twice that, uh, now I am very anti that was a filler, uh, episodes, oh, gosh, but. You do if you're again like you, you, you said it perfectly, like if you're going to give us this story, this spin off of Clone Wars, like everything needs to matter. Otherwise you're just putting out more stuff, which is kinda what they did with resistance, you know, and that kind of mm-hmm. fell flat on its face. So
0: Yeah. I'm already co- I'm coming into this very skeptical because I'm really kind of I'm I'm I have clone fatigue. You know, I I need something new and interesting in their storyline to to keep me involved in this one, and the first episode as as much fun as it was. It didn't have it, and it really came into the second and third ones where we start to see the characters have to do, to realize who they have been has not properly prepared them for what is about to be expected of them. So long as we maintain that trajectory, I think we'll be all right. And yeah, we've we, we I think that the creative team behind this has earned some trust and they've they've proven to be able to do a lot of good things. Rebels started off the same for me. It's like, you've got to make sure this goes somewhere. And it did, consistently. It got better and better and better and better. And so I think they've learned a lot of lessons. They've implemented those lessons positively in the past. Let's see if they can do it again.
1: Yeah, and I think with the microcosm that we have right now with three episodes, you know, you mm-hmm. said it quite well, it has gotten better and better and better each episode. Like... Yeah, the first episode was great. There was a lot of cool stuff in it. Second episode, I was like, ah, okay, so here's what they're setting up here and everything. Mm -hmm. And then the third episode, I mean, just was off the charts for me. Uh, I thought it was a fantastic episode. (laughs) So... I'm really excited for Friday, and uh, we will be back to talk more Bad Batch later on. We're not, obviously, uh, you know, we talked about all three episodes here. We're not doing an episode-by-episode episode thing, but I think this is something that we'll visit every few episodes instead of... We'll
0: check in, yeah, yeah. so often. Yeah.
1: Uh, but if you want a episode by episode um, analysis, I am doing those over on our website, ClashingSabers.net, where I am digging more in depth to uh, the themes and symbolism um, and things like that. So if that is something uh, that you are into, you can find all of that over there. It's called Belonging in the Bad Batch. It is on ClashingSabers.net. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter at ClashingSabers.net, or excuse me, at ClashingSabers on Twitter, not .net. Uh, And if you would like to support our literary... I'm going to start that whole end part over again. That was really freaking terrible. So you can find uh, that at clashingsabers.net, and uh, you can find us also on Twitter at Clashing Sabers. And if you would like to support our literacy nonprofit, you can go to patreon.com slash clashingsabers. If you're lazy like me, don't worry, I've done all the work for you. All of that is in the show notes. You can just click the link, and you will end up where you need to be.
0: Drew, what do you got going on? I think once I finish a test of courage... I'm gonna go back and reread Light of the Jedi in preparation. Or Light of the Jedi? Holy cow! Yes, the first High Republic book. Whew. mine just poof gone. I'm uh, gonna gear up and get ready for the next one. Um, I'm super excited about it, and I think the there's a comic omnibus coming soon. So I'd like to get caught up on those comics because the more of our Chris we get, the better the world gets. So I'm gonna start gearing up for that because that's going to be so much fun.
1: Yeah, can't argue that. And we will, of course, be reviewing all of those books over on Don't Burn the Sacred Text. Just make sure you click that subscribe button, and you will get all of it in your feed. So until then, remember, hope is like the sun. If you only believe in it when you can see it, you'll never make it through the night.
0: I'm being sponsored by Mark Cards now. <laughs> I would gladly that sponsorship by the way heck i could be doritos prince clashing sabers.net if it wants to I, I, I mean i'm not against it i could retire and call That's it a, lot a day of books we could buy oh my god so many <laughs> books